0: Welcome to the Maximus Podcast with your hosts, Joe Sabul and Bobby Maximus. Today's episode is sponsored by Lalo Tactical. L-A-L-O dot com. Use the code Maximus50 for 50% off the very best shoes you can get. Make sure you get the Maximus shoes in your shopping cart. We're also sponsored by 10,000, T-E-N-T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D dot C-C. Use the code Maximus15 for some fine apparel. We're super excited to announce our guest, Ali Khan. Ali Khan is the host of Cheap Eats on the Food Network. You've done a bunch of stuff, Food Network, Grill It with Bobby Flay, the best thing I ever ate. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I want to call you a culinary expert. How are you today? Uh, I'm
1: flattered. Thanks, Bobby. <laughs> I'm real flattered. It's good. You know, a little positivity goes a long way. I'm a little short on it, it lately these days, I'm sure. It's
0: yeah, a I... I hear you. So we do have a bunch of questions about Corona to ask you, because I really like what you've been doing with your social media lately, but how the hell did you get into theater studies to food? How how did that transition happen? You know what? That's a, man,
1: you know what? It's as crazy as me talking to an ex MMA guy, right? Uh, (laughs) Welcome to the power of the internet and social media. So, You know, look, I never thought about food as any kind of career path professionally, right? Um, A lot of people ask me this, are you a chef? No, I'm not a chef. But I will tell you that food is a big part of my DNA. So I'm first generation American. My parents both immigrated from Bangladesh and folks from Bangladesh, from India, certainly from lots of parts of the world, food is... The vice. Food is the impetus for social get togethers. Um, Bengalis love to eat, and there's an irony that they come from a place where they were essentially starving. So, growing up, food was the epicenter of all social activities. And add to the fact that here I am, this little brown kid in the 80s growing up in middle America. I grew up in St. Louis. And, you know, when I would go to school with, you know, a mixed group of kids, and we'd open up our lunch boxes. My lunch smelled different than everybody else's. When I opened up my thermos, people were like, "Are you eating rice and mushrooms?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, you know." So there's this weird feeling of you know wanting to fit in, but all at the same time realizing that what we ate at home, what mom made at home on Sunday night, was radically different than what I would have at Timmy's birthday party, right? And so out the gate, as a young, young person, I realize that food is is, is a big, diverse thing. Um, My dad loved to go out to eat, didn't believe in babysitters. I was ordering from the, the adult's menu at six years old. I had a pallet for um, you know, foie gras and filet mignon cooked medium rare at six. Like I just was really, really into food out the gate. I was very adventurous as a kid. We went to London when I was 12. All I wanted to do, Bobby, was go to every different kind of restaurant I could find. I flipped my lid when I found out there was like Iranian food, Persian food. I was like, hey, let's go try that stuff. I went to college in Los Angeles, I explored the city through food and inadvertently I came across the writings of Jonathan Gold. And if you don't know Jonathan Gold, only food writer to win a Pulitzer Prize. And what Jonathan Gold did was he started writing about these random, indiscriminate hole in the walls that were actually feeding huge, growing communities in Los Angeles throughout the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I'm talking about the first white, English-speaking food writer to write about El Salvadorian papooses of real Thai food. You know, like, you know, the plight of immigrants in America is very amiable because you come here to chase the American dream. And a lot of people do that through restaurants and they share their food. But out of business sense, you have to make your food adaptable, right? Jonathan Gold was writing about restaurants that were trying to serve it like they do way back when, in the motherland right? For these interesting communities. So I was super into food, whatever, right? Cut to a couple years later, I'm out of college with my theater degree, you know, hustling, struggling, as many people do with that kind of study. And a friend, a, a job landed on my lap. A friend of mine was writing a magazine, working for a magazine. They had to write a restaurant guidebook in Los Angeles. This is before iPhones and before the internet was handheld, before there was Yelp. And people actually needed books to kind of go, oh, here's a little cool book I can keep in my pocket or in my glove box in my car. Let me figure out where I need to go to eat. So I wrote a restaurant guide for Los Angeles. The following year when it came out, I went to USC. A lot of my friends went to film school. They were like, "That's you want to be in front of the camera? You know what, my man? You need to use food. And Food Network was becoming a big thing. As if this story wasn't long enough, uh, I started a 10-year path of chasing this dream of... Coming up with my own idea for a food show, utilizing my background with my friends who went to film school, uh, my talents in front of the camera. um, And there was a lot of ups and downs. It was 10 years. It was 10 years. In that time, I had a co-host who won Food Network star, Jeff Morrow. He won season seven of Food Network star, big guy in Food Network. I worked on some spinoff shows for him. I somehow got into the food TV world because of his success. I worked in development. I worked on shows for Alton Brown. And simultaneously, all the materials that I had was developing with technology, okay? Okay. There was an Instagram in 04 when I came out in my food show, but when Instagram came out, I jumped on it and Twitter. Writing turned into blogging. And what happened was in that 10-year process, somebody who had a background in some food writing, the world changed where, where look, you know, you could be somebody who, you know, look, well, someone like yourself, I mean, using the power of social media to get your message, to get your point of view of a certain aspect of lifestyle across, became powerful enough that, television, that grand gatekeeper of media was like, oh, shit, this blogging thing's a big deal. Maybe we should pay attention to this stuff. So, you know, I met the right casting person, someone who believed in me every six months. She'd shoot me a note or email. And in July 2014, I got that one email. But a lot, I mean, a roller coaster, lots of ups and downs. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the world changed so much when the internet became handheld.
0: Now, one of the things I want to I touch on there, would it be fair to say you went into theatrical studies with the idea that it could help you with your food, or was that a happy accident? Happy
1: accident. I mean, I was a guy who got enamored with, like, Sam Shepard and, like, comedies, and I was a theater geek, you know? But I'll tell you something. I think about these moments. There was one time I was doing a play in college, And in rehearsals, when the scene starts, so the lights are dark and then they come up, I decided just to start the scene as a joke when the lights come up with me taking a big bite of a sandwich, like just a big fat bite. And it was an awesome sandwich. It was on focaccia bread. It was grilled chicken with pesto sauce. It was like one of my go-tos, my best campus meal of 1997, okay? And every time, The lights went up. The scene started with a laugh and it actually got things rolling. You know, um, people talk about how it's nice to incorporate a habit or an activity when you're acting. So you're not just standing there and talking. You know what I mean? Like all this stuff happens when life is happening, when you're doing something. So it was perfect because the guy comes in and, you know, he wants something from me and I have all the power in the scene and I hold him. I hold his attention, and I make him work to talk to me and wait for me because I'm trying to chew all this food in my mouth. And I think about that. I was like, "That was my thing," and I really timed it out. I remember the play would start. I would walk from the theater halfway down campus, order the sandwich, pay for it, walk all the way back, and have it just warm enough without missing my cue for that seat. It was. <laughs> I mean, I had that. I had that down, but no. I mean, it just. You know, I feel like when you're trying to get into this business, right? And everyone's like, why you? What makes you different? Why do you stand out? The food thing was a thing. Like, if I could just sit somebody down and just tell them about meatballs, I mean, everything about meatballs, bad meatballs, great
0: meatballs, it works. I don't know, it works. So, one of the reasons I'm so interested in that it's funny I see a parallel in my career. Um, I love fitness from a young age, wanted to get into it, but I was scared there was no avenue for it. So, I went the traditional road. I actually did a honors English degree. I studied Shakespeare, romantic literature, mm-hmm. Renaissance pieces um and and it's funny that an English degree has actually helped me. With fitness more than you could ever imagine, because when Men's Health calls me to write, I can get an article turned around in an hour. Writing for my Instagram, writing for my blog. What ways has your theater training helped you in your new endeavors? You know, it's so interesting. When you say that you studied
1: English, I'm like, of course you did. Like, your pictures of you with all the muscles and stuff, that's a byproduct of your message, right? So that's what it's about. Like, that's what we both do. We have a message to get across. And and I still work and evolve what that message is. I mean, you know, before this, right, right you know, I'll tell you, right when I, when, right when this, when cheat eat started to, ruin the gears started to really roll, was probably a time professionally where I was in the murkiest waters. I didn't know where I was going. And I remember I was talking to a guy I was working with and I told him this, I'll say this, my friend, no matter what, no matter what happens, I'm going to be talking about food for the rest of my life. So, I mean, look, in the end of the day, I'm a food talker, you know, I'm a food talker. And I would even say that, you know, any great successful person today on food network. um, I mean, shoot, I think Anthony Bourdain is, is the, the grand, The grand dam of them all, right? He's a terrific writer. And he was an amazing listener. So these are things... Yes, he's a chef. And yes, he's immersed in the world. And yes, like, you know, he connects with people. But, like, him as a storyteller, that's what we're really talking about here. It's the stories we want to tell, you know, that we have this burning passion and conviction for. That's why, you know, you're on TV doing it. You know what I mean? Otherwise, you'd be... Look, you'd be happy in a corner doing like 60 reps. You know, right before I started this, I was like, man, I'm going to talk to Bobby. I, I, I've become demotivated, man. I am not. I, I do a, a group boot camp. And, you know, at my, at my strongest, I'm averaging three to four a week, which, you know, look, I'm 42 to be 43. And, like, it, it beats me up. Like, it's, I love it. I love it. It's a great workout. But it is harder for me when I'm in this new schedule. Um, I'm struggling, Bobby. I need your help. I need more don't of-
0: so I, I do have some advice for you and I'm glad you brought up Jonathan Gold. Cause a lot of people, I don't think enough people know who he is. Sure. I've actually, before you mentioned him, seen some parallels between you and him. I think what's most highly regarded about him is he's the food critic who didn't criticize. Mm-hmm. He only had positive things to say about everybody. And yeah. If you look at how he was in Los Angeles, he's universally loved and universally regarded. Such a contrast with some of the other food critics. Some of the other food critics, they walk into your restaurant and people are terrified. I'm going to get slammed. They're going to ruin me. He would get hugs and love and and acclaim, but just because he celebrated what was good, and, and, and I see that with you on your shows, but what I would say to you is, he loved food. You need to learn to love exercise like Jonathan Gold just loved his food. And yeah. Jonathan Gold wasn't, wasn't too good to eat at a, at a street cart. He wasn't too good to eat at a, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, what are those things called, Joe? Like a food truck. Yeah, he food would truck. eat anywhere if it was good food. I mean, he, he seems like the type of guy that if you could put together a really good craft macaroni and cheese dinner, He'd be psyched to eat it if he liked the taste. That's how people need to be about exercise. Here's here's,
2: here's a great tie in for this, uh, especially with a foodie. Like, uh, Ali, you you like vegetables. Do you have like a couple favorites?
1: You know, I I, I do. I do. I mean, I'm a big carnivore, but that same palate profile moves into like, you know what I friggin love? I love it when like I one of my favorite combinations of meat and vegetables is like a nice like seared pork chop and then you cook the collard greens or the kale. Yeah. There you go. In that pan. <laughs> yeah, I love hearty greens with plenty of garlic. One of the, one of some of the recipes I've found and some of the interesting commentary I've seen from chefs is you know season your vegetables like meat. You know what I mean? Look, I'll tell you, like, you know, I'm a foodie, not a chef. So I'm a guy who's like, man, I got three burners going on. It's all about that time management. You know what I mean? Like, I'll and my focus is, is first and foremost on that steak. But I do love the one skillet stuff. I love root vegetables. And look, you know, my peoples, I mean, this is more of a legume, but I love lentils love love I'm Listen, a listen
2: Ali, this is the perfect answer for this because if i ask bobby if he likes heavy lifting we have the same conversation but instead of talking about vegetables and how to cook them it's yeah. about different lifts and different exercises right yeah. so when, when you're looking at your exercise like like bobby said you gotta find that passion for it mm-hmm. think about movement like food you know like heavy lifting is like your 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 meat Right, you're you're mostly carnivore. You should probably be doing like lots of heavy lifting. You know, like you right. you've got to get some of that cardio stuff in there. Like your vegetables are good for you, but nobody really right. loves them. And, but yeah. that's like cardio. Like and, and you start to find a passion in different different flavors, different varieties, different ways to mix it in, and then it just becomes a thing that you look forward to doing.
1: And you know, and- I think you nailed something. I, I have these workouts that my uh, exercise group gives me, and I've been I've basically been cooking the same meal all week. No
0: wonder I'm sick of it. Yeah, that's not that's not fun, Allie. I'll give you a, I'll give you another analogy with my Traeger, because I'm a big Traeger guy right now. Yes. And I've been doing smoked chickens like every second and third day. I got bored with looking at the recipe. So you 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 pull up your Traeger app, you look at the recipe, you know what? Fuck that. I'm not doing that no more. I'm gonna, I'm gonna explore. So I started spatchcocking these chickens. Mm. And, then I, and then I injected a little bit of butter. Tasted pretty good, so I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna inject a shit ton of butter, more butter than anyone thinks. See, that's is the normal. secret to being and, a chef, right? There. And I just, I, I, I try that, and then I thought, you know, I wonder if I just put like the, the 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 spices that I use in the butter and inject it. And I'm not following recipes; I'm just playing and having fun. Working right. out doesn't need to be a chore; doesn't mm. need to be a job go in the gym and whatever you're feeling that day, do it. So what you did it yesterday and you're doing it again. Sometimes I eat steak three days in a row. Uh-huh. Yeah, now up, you do. you're, you're doing the You're doing the opposite thing. What too many people do with working out is they turn it into a job food and working out for me. I'm passionate about both extremely passionate. They're the same thing. It's it's, you take something from nothing and you, you, you build it up into this end result. And if you, follow a program too closely if you're too restrictive it's not fun because i'll tell you right now i love steak but if i don't want steak tonight i don't like it i want bacon you know so go into the gym and do what what kind of suits you best
1: yeah you know it's that when i i do this uh workout group camp gladiator and what's really cool about it is i go i show up and they tell me what's happening you know what i mean like yeah. I, I i am shifting from having that reliance of someone who's like okay this is what we're going to do today and then an hour later like i love it because it's like you know i'm down on the ground so exhausted dripping going i can't do this next thing this is the hardest thing in the world and it sets my mind straight for everything else i've got going on in my head which is all right now I really know what's hard. You know what I mean? Taking that next breath, taking that next rep. And, uh, you know what? I think, you know what I'll do today? I'm just going to play. I'm going to play. Like, I don't care if I do the whole sweat drench thing. I'm, I'm going to keep it in my mind. I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like spatch chicken and adding butter. Like just yeah. care. who cares?
0: Right. And Who cares? Here's the thing. People are so worried about screwing it up, but Listen, man, I uh, tried to make some A... This is a shame. I had some A4 Japanese Wagyu beef. Oh, oh my gosh. And so I was playing, and I I cracked an egg in it. I put a little bit of, like, soaked oatmeal, um, used a little bit of bacon grease and pork lard, and I tried to make this delicious burger, and I got distracted with some podcasting. I blamed Joe for this, and and I fucking burnt them. Oh, my God. like, I... (laughs) I burnt them. It was horrible. I was crying. <laughs> I was like worried, and I was like, "Okay, I I I ruined a meal. I I scraped the burnt parts off, took the meat out, and I ended up making like a like a nacho dish with the inside uh-huh. of the burgers, and it turned out to be delicious. The point okay. is, is some of the best people, and I'm glad you brought it up. Alton Brown put a picture of a, of a burnt piece of pizza. I want to say up the other day on his Instagram and he just wrote the caption. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) It it made me laugh because he's, he's like impeccable, right? If you ever watch good eats, he's never cooked a bad thing in his life, but Oh yes, he has. And there's no such thing as a bad workout. So what you get in there for an hour and you move around and it wasn't great. You learned for the next time. I know now not to podcast while making burgers.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. had me an oatmeal. I was like, I don't know how this is going to turn out.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Just just playing. I wanted to find something to kind of bring it together. And sometimes I'll do that. I'll throw a bunch of random stuff together in the kitchen to try stuff out. Um, like you hear that on the Food Network all the time, never pair fish with cheese. Why not? Like try it out see what happens. What's the worst thing that can happen. And so many people are scared to go in the gym and just play. Yeah. They, they end up, they end up handcuffed. Now, w- one of the things we really wanted to talk to you about today is you had a, a really good post on your Instagram the other day. It had something to do with barbecue. Uh, it was like a save the restaurant type thing.
1: Can you? Oh, um, yeah. well, one of the things I've been doing lately is, uh, and doing going on Instagram live with different chefs who I've met throughout, you know, the different shows I've done. So one, one we did was with La Barbecue. So, you know, I live in Austin, Texas, you know, the land of brisket. And really in the last 11 years, a new movement of pit masters has, has, has really hit this area. So central Texas is known for this European oriented, Uh, smoked brisket, right? And sausages and really have deep uh, culinary heritage connections to Eastern Europe, right? And it's been going on for a long, long time. But that stuff was all kind of in the countryside or whatever. About 11 years ago, Aaron Franklin opened up his, you know, his namesake, Franklin's, and a couple other places spawned in the Folks, I talked to the other day it was a place called Love Barbecue. Um, and there's some real lineage there. Leanne Mueller, who runs that spot with her partner, Ali Clem. Her father's Louie Mueller, very famous barbecue joint out in Taylor, Texas. She's here in East Austin, featured her on Best Thing I Ever Ate. And what I wanted to do was, you know, reconnect with these chefs and just, you know, I, I, I mean, I know I'm aware of it because. My social media feed is loaded with restaurants and I'm connected with the restaurant world and the food business world. But I just wanted to like, you know, a, you know, put a spotlight on these folks and what they're doing, how they're surviving. Um, and also how people can, you know, get the food, even if their restaurant is shuttered for dining service. So that's where that was coming from. And it was also a great way to reconnect with some old
0: friends. How bad is it for the restaurant industry? Because I admire you trying to do what you can, yeah, to help the restaurant industry. How bad is it right now for people?
1: You know, when I one of my last interviews, um, you know, uh, this guy marijuana, Ronnie put it bluntly. He goes, "In the restaurant business, there's not profit margins. Okay, in other businesses, like you know, you're 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 making money and you're putting that money away." Uh, he said, uh, "In the restaurant business." We work today to pay yesterday's bills, okay? So you're always running razor-thin margins. So to shut down the way they have, or to, or in some cases reduce, is catastrophic. I mean, staffs are cut, like, I mean, the percentages, I'm hearing, 30%, 50%. Some places are totally shut down, even in the scenario of the places who are doing the delivery service and the carry out, it's at such a reduced rate. And then, you know, the whole grocery thing, I don't know if you're always aware of this, but a lot of restaurants are now acting as grocers, A for the public good, because grocery stores are now challenging to, you know, get to and and you know, they don't always have everything, the social distancing stuff. But um, they've got perishable product. You know? Like,
0: so yeah, it's 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 pretty bad. You know? It's- pretty bad and now i want to talk about a good friend of mine viet um i don't know if you ever met viet he stood in my wedding he's been a dear friend for years his name's viet Pham. he beat bobby flay on the food network he was on food network star mm-hmm. he runs a little joint called pretty bird in mm-hmm. uh, downtown salt lake joe's been there i think it's the best nashville chicken on the planet yeah and we had a talk the other day and his business has actually went up since corona he's open a half the hours, mm-hmm doing more volume because Viet was able to pivot rapidly. Viet's a brilliant guy, but he Mm -hmm. pivoted rapidly into a takeout only business. And we were talking the other day and and he feels feelings of guilt that he's doing so well. And some of the other restaurants are closing, but he also had an epiphany that he might not do a sit down pretty bird restaurant again. He might gut his space and turn it into all uh, kitchen. And only do takeout take out because that might be the new path. So out of this is born maybe a new business plan for him that yeah. might, that might end up incredibly well. Do you think out of what's happening now, we'll see like, some people adapt and come up with some completely innovative things, if you will. Cause I've never thought about for barbecue, for example, I always thought I had to go and sit down, but I'm like, no, I might be able to just, you know, it's
1: surprisingly up to, just let me jump on that point. I'm actually about to release a couple of recipes in the next couple of weeks where I'm actually repurposing brisket. And, 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 you know, (laughs) prior to all this, I would have told you like, Bobby, if you're coming to Austin, and we're going to get barbecue, you're going to have to dedicate some time. And, you know, there are places here that have notorious lines. Like people who go to Franklin's will get there at seven in the morning or earlier to maybe get food. Because the whole point is they smoke it, it's ready to go, they don't cut it till you show up, okay? If it's pre-cut and it's sitting in a warmer, it ain't the same thing. Ask yourself this every time you cut it. Thanksgiving turkey how good it is as soon as you cut into it and how it's not as good when it gets to the table. Um that being said, I have because of these times gotten brisket and I've been repurposing it as leftovers using it as this smoked meat ingredient. The same way that when you go to the deli and you go, "Hey, let me get a pound of roast beef." It's not like, "Oh, let me eat it right now." It's like, "No, I'm going to save that for later, put it in sandwiches and stuff." So one of the things I did, a lot of this has to do with, you know, how you heat it up and being smart about heating it up. So one way uh, to to bring brisket back to its glory is a really low and slow heat in a cast iron skillet. You cut, usually when you're getting brisket, you can get a whole one, but usually if you're getting it to go, they'll be slicing it. Nice thick slabs. So you're going to put that slab on that warm cast iron skillet and it's just going to slowly heat up. It's going to be like beef bacon. And it really does come back to life very nicely. Yesterday, I made a taco out of it. I made a gringa taco. So flour, tortilla, brisket, a little sausage, like cheddar cheese. Um, Another thing I did was My kid loves Asian food, loves soup dumplings, uh, ramen, all that stuff. We got some pho, the Vietnamese soup. Got this stuff at Costco. I'm sure they probably have it where you're at. And you heat it up in the microwave. It's, It's actually incredibly tasty. I put pieces of my stone cold out the fridge brisket in the pho. It was amazing. It was completely amazing. It reheats wonderfully in the broth. You don't have to worry about it drying out because it's in broth. It flavors the broth. It is freaking fantastic. Um, But to your bigger point about how restaurants adapt, I actually know of a restaurant that had this interesting model. They do Chinese food only takeout or delivery. And they did gangbusters. I mean, they had a really interesting model. It had a no tip system. The drivers got paid 15 bucks an hour. They all drove Priuses. They had a real concept in there. And the idea was we're going to create food that people only want to get delivery or takeout. So to your friend's point, if you're shifting it to going, you know what, This is what it's all about. I think there is opportunity. And then the last thing I want to say to that point is the same guy who told me about restaurants and those profit margins, he has two restaurants and a spice trading company. And he opened up his first one in 2009 when the economy collapsed. So he actually said, you know, when when we get through this, and we are going to get through this, there is a flip side to it, which is, you know, rents will be cheaper, you know, the idea of, you know, if you can find the capital, you're going to get a great loan, you know, if you're in that position, there is, you know what, we're going to survive. It's hard. It's hard because some people won't, you know, but at the same time, like, I think you will find a way. And I think that it's important to realize too, that people are going to, we're all going to be a little different from this. You know what I mean? And there's going to be, and people are still going to want to eat They're just going to want to eat in maybe other ways that we're not always had been. I think
2: as as long as there's been society, there's been a food industry, right? Like there's always some kind of a restaurant, somebody who's willing to cook for somebody else. Like, I think it's a, it's a safe job. Um, but I do, I think what you were saying there is, is like restaurants will probably open and close, but there's always going to be some options. Somebody will find a way.
0: Do you, uh, does this open up a brand new avenue for the for the food influencer? And I uh, and I'll use cat cora as an example. I'm used to seeing cat cora in a in a chef's vest, a chef's outfit, whatever it's called. She's in like a high-end situation. You know what I'm loving? Watching her making grilled cheese from home. She goes live and she's like, here's a cat cora grilled cheese. And I'm like, for for a guy like me, back to back back to my burgers, the reason I used oatmeal is because sometimes I use like a seasoned breadcrumb in the yes. in the in the meat but i didn't have breadcrumbs so i went and looked in the pantry and i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna chopped or 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 hey, you're playing chopped whatever they're <laughs> doing. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna i'm gonna try this thing out right so it's 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 one thing to watch a gordon ramsey or a cat or cora or a or a Matamoros or whoever do a thing from a fancy restaurant with all the ingredients. Sure. I think it's kind of cool to watch them go to their pantry and yeah. pull out some like half day old or whatever, stale bread and some cheese and I'm going to make a grilled cheese and here's a canned tomato but soup. It, it's, it's funny you even bring that
2: up, now. Bobby. I was just talking with my mother-in-law yesterday and one of the, the morning news shows that she watches, I don't remember if it's like good morning America or what have you, but um, they they have like a regular uh, chef on there and she said exactly that. She's like, it's one thing when they're on a set and they have all these obscure ingredients that you're never going to find or never going to go shopping for. But when she has to go to her cabinet and be like, well, what do I have in here today? Well, I guess we're going to make some brand
1: muffins. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's
1: more yeah. compelling, you know? Yeah, I tell you, he gave me a great idea. <laughs> you know what
0: I mean? No, but for, for a guy like you, this might be an opportunity. Because one thing that I see out of this that's been a blessing is more – I listen, Ali, it's funny. I grew up with an Italian grandma. Who would, who would whip me with the fat end of an electrical cord, <laughs> I couldn't cut spaghetti noodles straight because she said, the and I quote, the machine makes it taste bad. So she cut her stuff with a knife. And let me tell you, when you're a six-year-old and your little hands are shaking, because you don't cut <laughs> these fettuccine noodles straight, you learn real quick how to cook. But... Uh, I, I grew up with that skill in, in, in knowing how to cook. There's a lot of people who are now having to figure it out. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on that? On that, For the first time, people are having to figure out how to cook. And I think what a beautiful thing.
1: You know, I, I, one of the things uh, I, I was talking to some guys and they were like, well, what are you cooking? And I'm like, we're in this amazing opportunity because we're all, we got to be at home. You know, and all of a sudden, all those excuses of oh, I got no time, I got to go to work and, you know, I got to go to the gym, grab my kids, blah, blah, blah. I don't have time to make spaghetti sauce. Well, guess what, my friends? Now you do. And to add to that, we don't have the convenience. Shoot. I mean, the last time I was at the grocery store was a couple of weeks ago. We've been doing like delivery stuff the last few weeks. But, um, you know, like those, the, the cupboard is bare, you know. So now it's like, well, let's get the bare basics. You know, and let's make things. So I've been telling people like, hey, man, I mean, we have an instant pot. That's our kind of gateway excuse to make a lot of things, you know, slow cooking, simmering and all that stuff. We've been making our own pasta sauce. Uh, we dabbled in making tortillas. Guess what? Now we're really making tortillas. I mean, I love how everyone's buying flour. I don't know how it is in Salt Lake City and Austin. You can't buy flour anywhere. Yeah, flour's
0: flowers gone. It's ridiculous. It's like flour toilet paper. I'm like, are people making homemade paper mache or something like this? I don't, I don't get it. The shower's gone.
1: I think the taping is a weird thing. I think the flour, I don't know. I mean, I think maybe the shelf life stuff, but, um, it's look, it's, I know for myself too, part of it is like, you know, I love, I love to grill you know, and I love like, uh, bright flavors associated with grilling. So like, if you guys were to come over to my house, I'd be like, all right, we're going to get like three pounds skirt steaks. We're making chimichurri. We're going to do some hearty greens on my plancha on my grill, that kind of thing. Right. That, that That's the stuff that I would make. But now, I mean, a couple of days ago, um, I made Big Mac sauce, you know, and I threw tater tots on a burger. I'm, I'm, I'm going for the comfort food factor because I just can't, you know, for me, like that, those flavors are impulsive. It's like, you know what? F it. Let's get some fast food or, you know what I mean? Let's go to like the bar and get like cheese soaked tater tots. I, I go, I outsource that. I don't make it at home, but now I'm craving it. Mm. So I'm, I'm, I'm embracing this interesting hybrid for me of like comfort food, but on my terms. So the other day I made a burger, made my own Big Mac sauce, realized that, you know, you need crunch, didn't have iceberg lettuce, didn't have raw onion. So I threw tater tots on there. I threw tater tots and Big Mac sauce on my grass fed burger with pickles. And, uh, it was cool. <laughs> it was- that, that, that's like par for the course. I, I
2: I'm in Minneapolis here, Ali, Ali. And, uh, you know, we put tater tots on everything. We, we make tater tot hot dish is like, the this, most I, know. Thing
1: here. <laughs> this I know, <laughs> you,
0: you know, you know, Ali, it's, it's, it's funny to me that, that people are going to learn how to make do with not a lot of stuff. I mean, even yeah. cause you were talking about making, making, you know, pasta sauce, it's funny, sometimes when you use canned products like a canned tomato paste. I actually asked my friend Viette about this. I go, I used to use fresh tomatoes all the time. I go, but I've been using canned tomato paste and yep. canned tomatoes. Why does it I think it tastes better? And sure. he said, Yeah, because they're canned at the height of the freshness. Yes. It's like it just and, yeah. and so I wonder why people are buying flour. I went and bought all the tomato paste, all the canned tomatoes, all the ground beef, beef, and then all the oregano and basil. And you can, you can make stuff. And I think people are being forced to figure it out because you got to look in your cupboard and, and, and mm-hmm. figure out what you're, what you're going to eat. Um, is this opening up some new creative avenues for you? Are you starting to change your content based on what happened? Yeah, I mean, I've shifted
1: to recipes. Like my blog, Bang for Your Burger Buck, which obviously changed content-wise with Eats. Like, you know, I was it was dedicated to sharing restaurants here and there. I dabbled in recipes, but because of all this, I've been like, you know what? I want to hunker down and and focus on recipes. Also, because you know, it's incomplete to share restaurant. You know, I, I have like a whole big old big bad folder of pics and lots of restaurants to post that I've eaten at. And, you know, right now, because not all of them are operating, you know, I've shifted into the recipe thing. And what's been really cool is, you know, like I said, like I've I got God's honest, like, you know, I write about food. I'm a foodie. I'm not a chef. I'm a food lover. Right. But when I share a recipe and literally the satisfaction of people like responding back saying, I tried this chicken. It was amazing. is huge to me. Huge. It's a whole new world. And it's 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 cool. It's it's really cool to kind of share the experiences I've had. You know, look, it's the trials and tribulations. Like you mentioned, Alton Brown, right? Alton Brown's recipes are amazing because he, had, he went through all the ways something can fail so that you can follow a list of techniques that makes it perfect, right? And so for me to like share a success and then have that reverberate, that's been really cool. I did this roast chicken and people have been posting about it, saying how they loved it. And I was just, I'm really floored, really flattering.
0: Love it. We do have some, because we know you have, a, you, have a, you have a time cap here. I have some skill testing questions to decide if we can really be friends or not.
1: Oh wow! Okay, All
0: right? Traeger or Kudu? <sighs> you know,
1: that's it. i to get into trouble here. So, okay, I, I've never used a Traeger. I'm very intrigued by them, and believe me, like I, you want to talk about fails? I've had fails with the Kudu, not because of the device, but because I'm. You have to succumb to the elements. You know what I mean? Like, I adore. Not just the flavor of cooking over live fire, but the act of it. You know what I mean? I got a bourbon in my hand, and there's just a full-on fire raging. It's pretty rad. But it's limiting. It's really limiting. And the kudu's not, to be honest, I kind of want to design my own grill, you know? Um, And what I'm finding lately is, uh, yeah, I really want one of those triggers.
0: (laughs) That could be really cool. Hey, listen. I know a guy that's in tight with the Traeger guys. The Traeger guys are based out of Salt Lake City. You yeah. want a Trigger? I, I could probably make that happen.
1: Man, um, hey, man, I I would because this, this the thing is like it's like it's it's like working out. Should you just have one? Kind of workout, You know You know, should have multiple we,
0: How many grills should we have Multiple grills We uh We give people gifts For being on the podcast Normally we give them 10,000 clothes or Lalo But you might get A Traeger grill Delivered to your front door Courtesy of Bobby and Joe the, I will be happy To To, to take share it. that love On social Alright All you know I will The next You've gotta bread Some veal cutlets Do you use breadcrumbs Or crushed cornflakes are they
1: my breadcrumbs, or are they store bought?
0: <laughs> they're store. They're, no one has your breadcrumbs. <laughs> you got to think about the listener. Don't be so selfish. They're store bought.
1: After everything we've talked about, how we have all these ingredients that we should be making stuff. Sh- you know what? For veal, you said veal, right? Yep. I'm gonna go breadcrumbs. I'm not. I'm trying. I'm not. I am not trying to like make a snap crackle pop when I'm eating veal. I'm All thinking right. about your grandma right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing her say, "The rooster make the veal taste strange." No, yeah, I don't know. No, I'm not going to. Right.
0: And the final one: Montreal smoked meat or just classic pastrami? <sighs> Keep in mind, I'm from Canada, and I speak Canada. French. you need to! I connect <laughs> these
1: dots rather quickly. <laughs> Look, I mean, I'm not going to lie; I have not had it, but it is very high on my bucket list. Um, you know, it's interesting. The pastrami that I like the most, I think, lends itself towards the Montreal style. So, without having ever saying it and also being a guy who lives in Austin. And by the way, they do briskets here. I mean, pastrami's here with that brisket style. I'm going to lean between the Montreal because I've seen that stuff and it looks incredible bark and and like heavier smoke because I think there's there's a wide range when you say, quote, classic pastrami. And I think the pastrami I like like cats lends itself to a heavier bark and just a heavier bite. So I'm
0: going to go Montreal. I like it. Yeah. The Montreal is actually made with like the, the, I don't know if my terminology is right here, but like the variable fat, um, portion of the brisket versus the, the pastrami is like that more fat marbled. Um, like I want to say plate cut, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So, or whatever. Sure. Yeah. Montreal smoked meat is, is good. I think, I think, you passed my test. The Montreal okay. thing was a big one. You wanted to take a Traeger and, and the breadcrumbs. So we're, we, we we can be internet friends now. Yeah, the gourd Flakes like,
1: <laughs> thing on V. I was like, I know you're going with this and there, breadcrumbs is a wide swath of territory, but I was like, you know, it's a veal cutlet. It's like a mellow thing. There's no, we're not trying to like make crazy sounds. You know what I mean? Yeah. It,
0: the, reason, the reason I said though is because sometimes you got to figure stuff out. Like if you don't have you went to the store, and this happens to me all the time. Mm-hmm. I buy the veal, I buy the chicken, and I'm going to make cutlets. I've got the oil and I got everything. Yeah. I thought I had breadcrumbs, and then I don't. What do I got to use? And then so you start thinking, could I crush cornflakes and use it? Could I Could I crush another type of cereal? Could I, could I use? This happens to people all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I know for me, like, you know? when I make meatballs, the first thing I think about is how can I make bread? Do I have any bread or how can I make my bread stale? Because to me, that's, I mean, this is a meatball conversation, but like, what is the difference between a burger and a meatloaf and a meatball? And the meatball it's just, it's all those other things. Like, it's not just meat. Um, that breadcrumbs, I mean, dude, we can talk about Pano. I can talk about food all day with you. <laughs> now I'm waiting for that tray. Yeah,
0: I love it. Listen it's uh yeah we're gonna i'm gonna make some calls today that'll be my my homework the traeger guys like me for some reason so i'll uh i'll see uh, what i can yeah. do you might but, you you might, that but, but now we're in, we're in trouble because i think i can swing a trigger for you because you're this food man but now every guest that comes on our show is gonna <laughs> want to dance i can't deliver that i can articulate why you can get a traeger to traeger, but. Some people don't have your chops. It has been a blast, Ali. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank, Thank you so, so much. much guys. We are, um, I I do want to say this before we get off. Uh, I, I, I've been lucky enough to meet you through the magic of the internet and stuff, but your show, Cheap Eats, is, I think it's my favorite food show of all time. I that love the concept. Yeah, the I concept is awesome. It. That's brilliant. I I love the idea that everyone can afford it because I can't go to Daniel the Boulot's restaurant (laughs) every night. You know what I mean? So I love that you go to these places. And by the way, we brought it up before. When I went to Minnesota, I Googled Cheap Eats Minnesota. Where can I go get some food? So um, thank you for putting out that content. It's incredible and we love it.
1: No, totally. A lot of fun, guys. Thank you so much. Because you're the last of a dying breed.